Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first What Are You Laughing At podcast of 2012. My name's Dave Cohen, and today we'll be talking about what this new year will bring for us, apart from interminable planes of gold on the radio. Joining me today, podcast regular and punslinger extraordinaire Tony Cowards, already, I'm guessing, in serious training for the great gag Olympics of the summer. Hi, Tony. Hello. Hello. Good to have you back. Thank you. Our special guest today is one of the great stalwarts of British stand-up comedy. He's getting on close to 30 years of performing, but his act is still as fresh as when he began. Now living in Los Angeles and a regular on the hit US TV series Californication, but back for a brief tour of the UK, it's great to have him here, Jim Tavare. Hello. Hi, Jim. Nice to see you. How long are you here for on that? Well, uh, I'm here till the 27th of January, and then I go back there for pilot season. Okay. So I'm here at your disposal. Fantastic. Well, we'll talk about those pilots uh, later on and lots of other things as well. Keeping us all in check, making sure we behave, the man with his finger on the pulse of the nation's comedy tastes and his hand on the windpipe of any one of us who dares to utter a grammatical error, Mr. British Comedy Guide, Aaron Brown. Hello. Okay, I'd like to start by quickly asking uh, each of you for your personal highlights of um, the last year or so. We'll start with uh, Jim. You've I mean, been in, in drop me in it now, Dave. This question was what's coming. Your, what's your favourite British? I know you. you yeah, well, don't ask me anything about England because I have all the confidence. I have no knowledge of having no knowledge. So, uh, however, I could maybe tell you a thing or two about America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no, the highlight for me, I suppose, was just seeing Stephen Wright in the Laugh Factory, uh, uh, who's always been a hero. And it was uh, just walking in there, to, I was doing a gig there, and then he was in there. Uh, it was superb for me. Is he still a massive star in the States? Yeah, I think he does a little bit from time to time. He uh, kind of does the Jay Leno show, so when he tries out, he does his bit at the Laugh Factory. And, and that you can guarantee, because that's like where I have a residency, right. the Laugh Factory, and that's how it works there. You have, you have your own club. And you work there every weekend. So seeing him was just superb. I mean, other people care, but he was just sitting in the foyer. It looked like a tramp. He had a huge beard, <laughs> huge hair. I didn't know who he was, a homeless person. Because a lot of the homeless come in there for handouts. Okay. But there he was. <laughs> and it was just super. That, that to me, makes my life worth living. You know, see something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, actually, if I can um, mention um, something here, if I can be a little bit self-indulgent here. My personal live highlight was... Uh, the uh, Horrible History Show was done live at the Albert Hall uh, this summer, and um, they had a 60-piece orchestra, and they had a 300-strong uh, uh, choir. So um, listening to this sort of 300-strong choir singing singing my choruses and singing He Is the King of Bling um, in the <laughs> Albert Hall, that was definitely a sort of career highlight moment for me. But... Uh, that's our self-indulgence is over. Tony, how about you? Live stand-up-wise, I saw um, Al Murray last year, who I thought was excellent as always, and Tim Vine, who's a bit of a personal hero of mine, Milton Jones. Um, are we doing TV? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. My, my absolute highlight of the year, I think, comedy-wise, and some drama, I suppose, as well, was Holy Flying Circus. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah BBC yeah. Four dramatisation. Oh, that was... Uh, Monty Python, Life of Brian. Was, that was, uh, yeah, yes, I like that a lot. It was uh, it was uh, the story of life of Brian, um, but it was kind of almost done like a kind of Python. It was done in the sort of style of Monty Python and uh, written by Tony Roach. Brilliant piece of writing, I thought. And uh, yeah, it's really. I thought the whole style of it was fantastic. Yeah. All the animations and, like you say, very Python esque. 
Okay, and Aaron, how about you? What were your what were your highlights of the of the year? Uh, I, I'm going to be a bit greedy in uh, pick three. Uh, uh, on for radio, it has to be uh, the continually superb cabin pressure, trying cannot fault in the slightest. And on TV, uh, jointly, the Comedy Central sitcom Threesome and um, Sky One's Spy. Uh, Threesome in particular uh, was Comedy Central UK's first ever homegrown British scripted comedy. It's their own show, not seen on any other network. Um, very much hoping it'll come back for a second series, perhaps later this year, perhaps 2013. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, no, that's um, both were both were very good shows. Yeah. Okay. Just um, just quickly say something about cabin pressure, which I also think yeah. is excellent. Uh, just this might be a question for you, Aaron. Do you know are they going to be making any more now that Benedict Cumberbatch is like an international there, there superstar? Is, there is another <laughs> series uh, currently in pre-production. Uh, I think that's going to be recorded. Is he, is he going to find time uh, in his busy Hollywood schedule? Only takes um, a couple of afternoons. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I have to admit, I was worried that he might not be able to find time. But they, they, well, he's, he's going to be a new Star Trek film, isn't he? And yeah. With Sherlock and everything else. Well, the thing with um, with radio, though, is that, I mean, a lot of people do. It's amazing who they get to do radio. I mean, they get they get massive film stars to come and do radio because it, it's re it really is just I mean you, you, you turn up at uh, midday uh, and you read two scripts and you go out in the evening and you perform so you, 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 you do two episodes a day so you kind of only need three days for that but even that you know, it's going to be a struggle, not just for Benedict Cumberbatch, but also, of course, John Finnemar, the, the writer and star, and of course, previous guest on, on this show. Uh, I mean, John's doing so, John's so busy at the moment as well. I mean, I'm, I wonder mm -hmm. where he's going to find the time to write it. But um, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's a fantastic series. I do hope they uh, get another one. And, of course, a worthy winner of the Writers Guild Award for Best Radio Comedy last year. Um <laughs> So yes, that's um, so those those are our uh, highlights um, from last year. Just kind of looking ahead. Um, first of all, we'll have a quick um, quick chat about stand up. I mean, it is. I was talking to someone the other day, a TV person, about um, about the current situation with stand ups, and she was saying, you know, it's amazing, isn't it, that the the quickest way now for anyone to become a millionaire is just to start doing stand-up, really. I mean, it is... Really? It's, <laughs> well, I mean, possibly present company, round the table <laughs> accepted, but just, just the way that... Um, well, speak for yourself. I mean, <laughs> it takes five or ten years, still. It, it still does, but there, is, there are people who, over a very short period of time, have gone from being sort of regular jobbing comedians to... Phenomenal multi-million DVD mm. sellers, aren't there? I mean, there's just, it is quite, it is quite amazing, isn't it? How stand-up has so kind of taken over, really, in so many areas. I mean, do you, do you, do you see that on the telly, don't you, Aaron, as yeah. well? I mean, stand-ups yeah. everywhere, aren't they? Yeah, there are an increasing number of stand-up shows. Uh, obviously, uh, live at the Apollo, Michael McIntyre's Comedy Roadshow. Then you've got all the panel shows and chat shows that always have at least one comedian mm -hmm. on further cementing their name and perhaps if they're uh, 
unlucky uh, using up a bit too much material. Um, well, the panel uh, show. Yeah, I've certainly seen many uh, of the same lines repeated <laughs> again. Yeah, I've, I've again. seen, I mean, certainly Mock the Week, which is a, I don't know, yeah. it's a sort of yeah. topical yeah. show uh, hosted by Dara O'Brien, and uh, that has many, uh, that, that's all comedians, <laughs> and um, I've seen comedians come on and do supposedly topical Material which is that their acts crowbarred into the uh, mm. into the episode, and uh, I think I mean that that's always been a. But then they go and use the thing in the next the same joke in the, in another yeah. panel show do they? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and on the DVD which is yeah. out this year, yeah. and yeah. on the TV series which was fifteen years yeah. ago, and <laughs> on people don't seem to care about it anymore. <coughs> I mean, I know when when, when Jim and I were. Performing regularly, the idea that if you so I, do, I still do perform regularly, more than ever. Me too. I'm back in uh, March. My new one man show, songs in A flat, etc. Theatre, Camden, sixth to twenty fifth of March. Uh, so get that in. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it just happens to be a sixteen year gap between that and the previous uh, gigs. But but certainly in the eighties and nineties, I mean, if you did your act on telly, that was it. You couldn't. Mm. You couldn't then go back to performing in clubs and do those lines because until they forgot. Well, yeah, just years later. before we started recording, we were, of course, we were having a little chat amongst ourselves about uh, uh, the decline of uh, music hall. Yes, we are that geeky, um, and of course, that is half of the reason why uh, many of those acts from those days died because once they performed on television, that was their act gone. They survived on having the same act um, yeah, and touring right. the country, and by the time they got no, back yeah, to the it, same it, theater, right? Okay, yeah. What sort of two years later? They, they've they, been forgotten. People have forgotten, yeah. right? And that they might have a few new lines, but essentially it was the same routine. TV's a lot more fragmented these days, so I guess you can get away with reusing material because not as many people are seeing it. Viewing figures now are only sort of three or four million. It's a big show, whereas 15, 20 years ago it would have been fifteen, twenty million. Mm. Yeah. yeah, isn't there going to be a point though where someone they buy the they buy the next DVD from a stand-up that's got um, thirty minutes of what they've already seen on the previous DVD? Mm-hmm. People I think people get... do already complain about that. Yeah. I've seen yeah, complaints yeah. about certain yeah. comedians who've been on Mock the Week, and yeah. then people have bought their DVD and said, "Oh, it's the same material they did on the telly." Right. Some of the some of the biggest names at the moment get a lot that gets on those lines, and I've seen. I've seen many complaints about that for, for the likes of Frankie Boyle and um, Mickey Flanagan, uh, even, even Sarah Millican, who's generally quite good. I've, I've seen people complaining. Right, right. But then again, I think sometimes people misunderstand how stand up works and people yeah. expect every show to be different jokes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people in the audience still yeah. think that you've made yeah, the whole up. thing up, haven't you? Yeah. And, uh, I think the trick with Eddie Izzard, he used to actually make people really believe that. And for years and years, people yeah. thought he'd make up a whole new thing every night. Yeah. Until we were slowly sort of working it out. Oh, that's how you do comedy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I do remember once somebody coming uh, to see me on a um, Saturday night, and they, they came up to me afterwards. They said, oh, uh, oh, I saw you last Tuesday, and it was brilliant. I was, I was, 
you did exactly the same thing as you did last Tuesday. <laughs> Funny enough, I didn't manage to write and hone 20 minutes brand new material over five days. You should have said, well, did you see me the week before? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. before it's totally different. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, of course. Um, but I mean, it's got a, I, I don't know, it, but maybe it will get bigger. Who, who knows? What's the, what, I mean, uh, it was interesting, there was a series, uh, a short, uh, at the end of last year, there was a, a kind of store, uh, a documentary about stand-up, a, a two-part documentary from Alan Yentorp, um, which kind of climaxed with uh, Eddie Izzard live at the, the Hollywood Bowl, it's the sort of the ultimate first stand-up comedian to, ever to play the Hollywood Bowl. Um, and I mean, I just wonder what, what stadia, what's, what's the next... Sort of, you know, what's the next big step that stand-up comedy can take from that? Really, that's about as that's about as uh, big as it gets, really, isn't it? I think that's probably why he doesn't do it so much, does he? I don't know. Is that a, he, he mm. sort of has does a new show every for about five or six years? Well, did, did, wasn't it about the boxing match that Muhammad Ali had in, in Africa? Or something? Was that that was even bigger than the stadium? Was it? Did, you know, the rumble in the jungle. Yeah. Thing? that was the. That was more than that was in like an entire desert or something, wasn't oh, it? Right, okay. So you could do that, maybe. <laughs> but then <laughs> Michael McIntyre's routines, maybe at um, maybe done from maybe done on uh, runway two at Heathrow yeah. Airport or something, maybe. Who knows? Just one quick point about the proliferation of stand-up on TV as well. I'm guessing part of it's because it's relatively cheap as a yeah. TV format. Isn't it? Mm, yes, so, I think. Although live at the Apollo, well, looks why didn't they think that before? Because it was a big kind of wilderness for stand-up on TV and everyone said oh it doesn't work stand-up doesn't work on TV remember that uh, what happened was comedians like uh, Peter Kay and Michael McIntyre learned how to not just play the room the big room but also play the cameras at the same time mm. which, which you didn't really see before and that's what I think the new the latest generation of comedians are learning to do that in a way that our, our generation never quite managed uh there's a sort of big aspect of how stand-up has changed, I think, in that um, now there are a lot more of these big arena comics who are performing kind of more at the audience rather than with the audience as you get in more in a more club environment. So there's, there's no there's less chance for things to go wrong, for for hecklers, for anything remotely off script so it's all a lot more honed Jim I mean we, we, I guess we might as well talk about this now anyway but you've been uh, you've, you've been performing <coughs> a lot in the UK recently how, how are you finding it now compared to say when you were last performing here a few years ago well firstly I was absolutely knocked out by the amount of new comics and the, co- the quality of stand-up has rocketed right up and I think it's a really really exciting thing so when I got to the Glee Club I think it was when I was working I didn't know any of the comics and it, it didn't have that kind of tiredness that it had just before I left. Nothing to do with me, I hope. But it, it seemed very like stuck in, in one place, uh, you know, just people sort of uh, making a living doing stand-up and doing pretty much the same generic routines as one another. And uh, suddenly everyone is, has got a totally different personality and, 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 and it may be that that whole genres kind of thing, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but maybe that's moved on, we've moved on from that bit now, and it's more like it was when we started, a lot more creative. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of, uh, you know, I, I mean, yes, at one level it's sort of getting huge, and there's sort of 10,000 people in an audience, it's, it's, it's obviously impossible to 
do the same sort of show that you'd be doing in, the, in front of 200 or 400 people. Um, but then at, at that 200, 400 people level, there's a lot of very inventive stuff going on, isn't there? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was super impressed with it all. Yeah. There's a lot more sort of genres of stand-up comedy now, isn't there? You can't really bracket stand-up comedy in one thing. There's so many different styles now. It's almost developed in different parts of the circuit. Yeah, what sort of, I mean, what sort of... Well, just, for instance, at the moment, uh, very scientific-based nerdy comedy comedy seems to be quite popular with the whole sort of Brian Cox and Dara Brian phenomenon and Helen Arney and people like that. So mm. you've got very intelligent, almost niche comedy, like breaking off into little compartments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whimsy was big for a while, and silly comedy, surreal comedy. So you have to do jokes about science now, is that what you say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it helps. Yeah. Well, there, there is a panel show coming up, which is uh, maths questions. I mean, I think QI well, I think perhaps, um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think QI yeah. perhaps sort of was one of the catalysts. Yeah, yeah. Well, and of course, Robin Ince has been uh, Robin Ince, yeah, yeah, of, yeah, uh, of the uh, science and the comedy uh, combo, as it were, really. Um, we, let's talk a little bit about um, TV now, what happened last year and uh, the, what, what's to come. Um, there's a new series of uh, 10 o'clock live, Channel 4's uh, sort of, um, flagship topical comedy show, which um, I, actually I thought was very, very good, the first series, but it did um, 15 episodes, 15-hour-long uh, episodes, and the, the, the live aspect didn't wasn't exploited very well, I thought. But they're going to, they're, it's coming back uh, in the 45-minute form, I think, ten, is it 10 weeks as well? So yeah. um, um, uh, that, that should be quite good. We had some uh, interesting series, TV series, episodes, um, with um, Matt LeBlanc Yeah, I like that. I was in a minority of one. Um, <laughs> but uh, there you go. Fresh Meat, that did very well. Uh, that's coming back in between as movie smash hit of the year rejuvenated the idea of the British comedy film uh, particularly ones based on TV shows um, which are, of course remember the great uh, on the buses the TV the great movies of the 70s on the buses Steptoe all those ones yeah. uh, so who knows Miranda the movie we'll have to wait and see um, various other new shows, uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys, uh, very popular BBC One sitcom. Um, again, uh, not my cup of tea, again, I'm in a minority. Life's Too Short, the new Ricky Gervais uh, sitcom. Um, and um, that's um, certainly got lots and lots of hype. Uh, I, thought it was, I, I thought it was a very interesting idea. Um, it did sort of run out of ideas as well, but um, I thought Warwick Davis was um, I thought was fantastic. amazing. Yeah, actually. really, really good actor. Totally. It was like an extended extras, wasn't it? Yeah, really, yeah. yeah. I, and also, I can't fault the idea of... I, I've always, always thought that um, the problem with... Um, BBC and other companies where they, they, they try and uh, they, there's a genuine sort of urge to get sort of different people on other than white middle class Oxbridge uh, people doing comedy and there's always a tr attempt to get people with more women on TV and people with disabilities, more black people uh, but tends to happen is that there's a kind of urge to make, make these characters good and they're always sort of good people and it's nice to see you know, a character who's not, you know, he's just a person, and that's that's kind of really interesting point about that. But I did feel that it 
occasionally it just kind of they they got they skipped the comedy and just went for the humiliation instead, which didn't always work for me. But yeah, that's just my my. But anyway, we got um, coming up, and this is um, something we talked about before: is about how how much Sky TV is now investing in uh, comedy. We've got loads of new series, loads of returning series. Um, but I notice uh, Aaron's given me a big list of all the uh, shows that are coming back or uh, new shows. There's a list of about 12 shows, of which um, five are, four or five are Sky shows. So Touch of Cloth, spoof crime drama created by Charlie Brooker. Uh, we've got the Parents, a new sitcom about a married couple with two teenage kids coming out in May. Uh, as a sitcom written by co-starring Chris O'Dowd from The Crowd, uh, about a boy growing up in small town Ireland, written by and starring him. Uh, new uh, series from Kathy Burke based on one of, one of the shows she made for Sky. So Sky is definitely a big player now, isn't it, Aaron? In the yeah, uh, we'll increasingly seeing comments along the lines of is is Sky now becoming the new home of comedy? Oh, I hope not because I don't have it. Um, <laughs> yeah, their, their commitment they're showing to British comedy is pretty much unmatched. I'd say I think they're I think they're investing something like five hundred million in original UK comedy programs um, over about four or five years. Mm. They've already had a whole range of shows, comedy dramas, panel shows, sitcoms, um, and uh, most of which have been hastily recommissioned. There's a whole load more still yet to start. Um, so keep your eye on Sky, I'd say. Yeah, well, some of us might have to get that um, get that box or whatever it is <laughs> now, satellite dish, I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm... I'm Bit of a luddite still, um, but uh, yes, I need to be watching. Oh, just a reminder, by the way, that we're recording at the Writers Guild, um, <laughs> which is um, next door to a fire station. Uh, I forgot to mention that there will be sirens occasionally. <laughs> so um, if we get heckled by a siren, you'll know why. Um, so yes, I mean it is it is phenomenal, isn't it? And they're going for they're, they're quite very clear about what they want Sky, aren't they? They've got the, they've got sort of the sort of left field stuff that's going on Sky Atlantic where this is Jinzy uh, went out. Um, they've got they're going for sort of eight thirty sitcom slots, sort of slightly sophisticated but all the family can watch kind of mm. thing. Um, they're going for uh, Sky Living, they want um, they're looking for sitcoms and, and comedy shows for for women, you know, I mean don't know what that means, but um, they're definitely looking for them. Uh, and just just all across the whole of Sky, they they are you know they 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 want new comedy. So it is probably a good time if you're an aspiring comedy writer, dust down those ideas and give them a give them a, a bit of a Sky makeover. Really, I mean, it seems what seems to be happening with Sky is they make uh, they they're, they're kind of aiming they're almost sort of aiming to kind of catch every part of Britain, so you have well, they, like... they seem to be the only people making sort of mainstream sort of family sort yeah. of sitcoms mm. and comedy that could have, and would have a wide range of appeal that you see in Channel 4 seem to be yeah. making and, sort of... Yeah. And yet, bizarrely, um, Lucy Lumsden, who is the uh, controller of comedy for Sky, has uh, that she stated that they don't really care about audience figures. Um, because of course, you know, they're, they're not they're not 
but pandering. They're, they're, well, they're not having to get yeah. an audience in the same way yeah. that BBC and ITV but, have to compete well, that's because they're a subscription service. Mm. But um, but yeah, to, to, to not really be having to care about audience figures and then making um, the the shows which are which would be more likely to get the big audience yeah. figures if they weren't on a sort of relatively niche channel. Yeah, I, was, I was just thinking that if a comedy show is on BBC right, if you're on Channel 4 and it only gets a million views, that would be considered quite bad. But I would guess on Sky a million is a reasonable... Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think that would be, <laughs> be very good. Eh? Yeah. What's, what's Channel 5 do these days? Is that still around? Uh, nothing. Not, not a lot. No. But they don't do much. Pretty much. It's pretty, pretty much everything. Pretty much everything they tried uh, was either a failure or... That's my... I had a TV show, by the way. Or lukewarm, and they, they, didn't, they, they didn't have the staying power to uh, let anything grow. The trouble was... As, as, as soon as they didn't get yeah. a hit, they just pulled... It, it was like what Sky, what Sky did last time when the, uh, Sky said, oh, let's make comedy. In the same way Channel 5 said, let's make comedy. They do one show. And then, uh, I don't know if you remember when Sky, they launched big and they did uh, David Baddiel's sitcom and Al's uh, Time <coughs> Please and the Harry Enfield show. And that was it. And they did them all big. And then none of them, because none of them kind of broke out and became huge hits, they just said, oh, that's it, we abandoned it. And that's sort of similar to what happened with Channel 5. You know, your show, it just existed in a vacuum. It was the comedy show on Channel 5, wasn't yeah. it? I remember that one, that, that sketch show with Simon Pegg as well. The yeah. comedy show. And so with one show on its own, you know, it needs other stuff around yeah. it. And that's what Sky are doing now, is they're just saying, right, if we're going to become a hit, place to make hit comedy shows we just have to make loads and loads of shows and keep making them and eventually someone's going to say wow that is the show that everybody has to buy a box for to watch and they're just in, in effect what you said is that that's what the BBC should be doing is making programmes not caring about audience figures but the BBC has been forced to play that game now yeah. and so, yeah. so Sky is kind of bizarrely taking over from the BBC as the sort of broadcast that makes the most comedy so um, that would be uh, interesting to see how that pans out yeah. of course BBC are cutting and cutting and cutting so they're going to be having to make well, us they, they claim that the actual amount of comedy is not going to change at all oh. um, it's just going to be distributed far differently um, there's going to be almost nothing on BBC 2 Pretty much just mock the week as far as I can make out really for BBC Two. BBC Four, they're gonna have some shows but it's gonna be mostly sort of uh, archive comedy. Um, and BBC three is going to be a sort of simply a training ground with the idea that anything remotely successful will be transferred to BBC One. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I think I guess they're going just for more cheaper shows, <coughs> um, i.e., less sitcoms. James Carey not with us today, um, our other co-host, but uh, I'm sure he'd be uh, not very pleased about that. But I think that's got to be the way that it's going to be the only way that the BBC is going to be able to keep up that amount mm -hmm. of comedies, make more more clip shows um, like that one yeah. where people describe their favourite joke. <laughs> Completely ruined. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so then, then he said, "My wife wants <laughs> Jamaica." Clip. 
Why am I Scott's commander? Oh yeah, and then what's really funny <laughs> is that he he blinks and then he says, "Well, oh, uh, Jamaica." I've ruined the joke, but then yeah. you get the idea. Um, so um, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, little pockets of BBC that were like BBC Scotland, where some really interesting stuff comes out, and maybe the internet will be provide BBC with some cheap comedy as well. Who knows? I don't understand the thing with BBC Scotland because they've produced several shows, the Limmy Show and um, Gary Tank Commander, mm. that could just be do really well UK-wide. I think people don't understand the accent. But they perhaps see no kind of work. But they could be big shows. Still Game was my favourite yeah, sitcom the last well. few years. Yeah, and yeah, just never started way back, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's Scottish. Well, that was more, that's the... There was a show like that from Scotland. Yeah, I mean, I know which one you mean, Chewing the Fat. Yeah, that's it, yeah. The guys who did that then went on to make Still Game, yeah. and you know, brilliant, lots of brilliant comedy. That and it, it's the same as what they used to do with Seinfeld. Um, you know, they sort of put it on at midnight on BBC Two or something and run it for three nights, and no one would know it was there. And that's kind of what the BBC England has, or England and Wales have been doing with the sort of these great yeah. Scottish shows. It's just madness, yeah. really. Well, let's move on now, because I just want to briefly talk about um, the... Welsh comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny enough, uh, is that uh, Stella on Sky One, uh, written and starring uh, Ruth Jones, of course, from uh, Gavin and Stacey. <clears throat> it's a big, big hit, big Welsh comedy hit there, or big Sky hit anyway, everybody seems to like it. I haven't seen it, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm going to have to get that Skybox. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the comedy.co.uk awards and um, these are the awards, uh, it's the sixth year of the awards, well, um, been running since 2006. Every award is 100% decided by the public vote and every single comedy broadcast through the respective year is automatically nominated for the awards. Uh, no biased nominations process nor any questionable jury to whittle down their own ideas of what's worthy. Previous winners are the Comedy of the Year, Miranda, Thick of It, Peep Show, The It Crowd, and Green Wing. I also have a Worst Of, um, which uh, I think is uh, <coughs> the various shows that I, I could mention that have uh, won that, but I, I, I will not mention them, I think, because uh, I, it's just, this is my personal uh, gripe here. I, th I don't think you should have a, a Worst Of, um, partly because uh, you know nobody ever kind of deliberately sets out to make a really bad show and of course you know all comedy subjective but also we all know when we've been involved in something that's not as good as we hoped it would be um, just and the winning that counts them don't you? Yeah, <laughs> I know but I don't know I just I, there is something about having a worse of that just kind of I just think well you know give these people a break they know the show that they've been doing <laughs> is not the greatest show um, they've tried to make it the best and you know, circumstances happen when you're making something that it doesn't work out for whatever reason. Most writers, I would say, and performers pretty well know every fault that, that about a show by the time it's gone out. And so, you know, there's nothing that anyone ever writes on Twitter or on a forum that we haven't already thought ourselves about the show. So I'm, I'm just, um, I know that the British Comedy Guide audience seems to like seems to enjoy slagging stuff off. And we all, we all do enjoy slagging stuff off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's just me. The British. 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 Yeah. 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 Just on, on the worst point, uh, I think we should point out, uh, I, this is something that I, I personally wasn't 
too keen on either. Um, but we had so many uh, requests after our first set of awards, um, people uh, asking if there was any way that they could express their their, their, their worst comedy. Um, and we, since no other awards uh, have a worst category, we found it might be a, uh, something else to distinguish ourselves from the rest of the Malcolm crowd. Hardy did something live, didn't he? There was a worst. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose some of his shows <laughs> and I attended. Well, he had, he had an awards thing, though, didn't well, he? Well, we did. There was a thing uh, we did in Edinburgh, uh, which actually was... Uh, That's right. Mark yeah. Thomas and I came up with a thing called the Snake Bite Awards, uh, which we, we, we one year we just started going to see um, we, we just in our sort of spare afternoons we start, went, decided to go and see lots of um, shows that looked like they might be really bad yeah. just some kind of way of passing the time really and uh, we kind of after a couple of days, we sort of lost interest in it. Uh, Malcolm went, oh, oh, oh great, I don't remember. He ran the for Well, he, you know, he took it and he ran with it and it became, you know, one of, one of Malcolm's uh, signature, right. <laughs> one of his many yeah. signature uh, moments, uh, the Snakebite Awards. And yeah, and they'd, um, the winners of the Snakebite Awards, which I remember the first ones were doc- some doctors who did a sketch group called Jean de Toilette, uh, and they were the winners the first year. And they got to do the prize was you got to perform for ten minutes at the um, at, balloon, the, no, at the tunnel club in London, oh. <laughs> <laughs> where you'll probably be booed yeah. and heckled, have things thrown at you. But um, that's um, uh, that. That was yes. That that was. Um, I was there the night that Clarence and Joy Pickles were glassed on, on the, in the head. You know, glass on the hit on the head, and they gave up doing it that night. Incredible place. Yes, good, 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 and bad. Well, actually, well, well, well with it. Uh, and that, that musical documentary that was on the other day, one of the things it said that in old musical, they didn't glass people, but they used to stand high up in the gallery and they used to have buckets of manure and they would throw manure <laughs> at the, uh, the comics. And that's, imagine yeah. surviving that. And that's why they had the, they survived with these very sim- simplistic kind of to the point acts that could survive manure and like buttons that you start with and then yeah. you know. Well while, while, while we talk about the tunnel club because we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have our proper interview now with, with, with uh, Jim um, and the particular highlight I remember at the tunnel club was uh, Jerry Sadowitz uh, spotting somebody asleep uh, at a table quite near the front and going over and uh, Discharging various contents of the evening's uh, beverages um, on this sleeping person. That's a sort of. But that's Mal- I was there when Malcolm did that. I saw Jerry do it. Oh, I was there when Malcolm did it. Oh. The guy was asleep with his mouth open and he didn't wake up. And his <laughs> oh, mouth was oh, filled. His mouth. Oh, this was just. Oh no, this was. It. Oh, you're not was, talking about no, the mouth. No, no, this was just Jerry just being. Uh, um, <laughs> he sort of. Just thought, oh, you know, come on. Oh, no, 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 no. This guy was asleep on oh, the front row and Malcolm peed into the guy's oh, mouth no. and he did not wake up. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, various... I mean, I remember seeing Vic Reeves as well getting getting bottles and... and yeah, because he was kind of uh, on the fringe of comedy. He didn't yeah. kind of fit in anywhere, did he? Well, he just used to come on and sing songs badly, didn't he? didn't do any jokes or anything. Yeah, like just, a karaoke yeah, kind of yeah, performance. And, uh, and it was kind of almost like 
that it was almost a ritual that he knew he would go on knowing that people would throw things, and that became part of the part of the. Um, well, then I did a thing there, and it became get Jim Tavray off in under three minutes. Right, and I used to go there every Sunday for that. So you, the, the tunnel club, sort of, it was your kind of uh, it was your kind of rite of passage, wasn't it? Really, that's where you sort of went and, from being and the new material nights that we yeah, together. That's true. That's true. But, but tell, tell me about those early tunnel gigs, then, Jim. So, well, that was, that was one of them. Get Jim Tavray off in under three minutes, and then I'd just be sitting in the audience, and he'd say, come on, you're getting up now, I'm not risking, and then he'd make it into this thing where I, I would have to just see if I could survive, and then and I'd go the next week, and then I'd do about six or eight weeks on the trot, and then eventually I started doing other comedy, and when I started to get half somewhere with it, half, you know, good, he'd stop, stop doing that segment then. Right, okay. survive the three minutes. Right, okay. Didn't you get one of the, the, the most? It used to be there was a pe- brief period of the tunnel where you know, where the heckles were really brilliant. I mean, they got pretty bad eventually, but um, wasn't you know, one of your openings when you sort of came on with? Please the, don't say that story. It's so oh, boring. Oh, okay. Well, I just we were always close, and it's not even. Wasn't even. I can't stand it. Every uh, the only, if someone does an interview with me, they always say, I "Didn't you used to come on stage and go, I'm a schizophrenic," and the audience went, "Why don't you both fuck off?" And, that, and, that, that is, that, and it's not even no, quite I'm true. <laughs> 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 Which one are you referring to? To the uh, coming on with the double bass. Oh, okay. That's a slightly more clever one, and that is yeah. that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, in every newspaper, it always has that boring story about. Why don't you both F off? Yeah. But yeah, the, the good heckle I got, the creative one, was when I first introduced the bass to my act and walked out there with it in the gym, get gym towering off, off in another three minute spot. Someone said, uh, midget with a violin, which obviously you can't say now, but I then yeah. weed that into a routine uh, about all the things people shout at you having a large, <laughs> cumbersome instrument. But of course, before the time, uh, I guess it's something that stood you in. Good stead over the years. You, you went to RADA, didn't you? you I did do to drama to start with, yeah. yeah. I tried everything in London. I mean, London was a great place in the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, you weren't, you, weren't you the kind of, um, like, vaguely, uh, you were there with sort of Juliet Stevenson, weren't you? And, no. Uh, no? Oh, right. no. Okay. Jodie Richardson, Jody was my year. And then the year above was Ralph Fiennes. Okay. Do you ever find that the techniques that you learned there that find them useful? I think certainly doing comedy for for me, uh, it's I have a slight persona, and I think that's come from acting, and I, do, I sort of kept that persona, work with it in the same way an actor would, you know, would this guy say this, and that's what makes me think of the lines. And um, so you emerged from those tunnel gigs and those new material nights, of course, and, and became. It became quite a regular on on the circuit, and I remember that I think it was about 1990, wasn't it, when you had the first sort of very big successful Edinburgh show, wasn't it? The uh, the masterclass. Yes, show. that's right, exactly. Yeah. But I remember I remember seeing you there, and uh, you were Perrier nominated, and you were selling out every night. And I saw you sort of just about the last night of the, the festival. I said, "Oh, Jim, nice to see you." It looks like you had a very well, good, successful. <laughs> 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 what Edinburgh was like but uh, and I said uh, oh, you must have been a great festival and you were sort of sitting there going, yeah it's alright but I'm, I've lost five grand <laughs> oh, I thought how does a sell out show one of the most successful shows on the fringe how do you manage to lose five thousand pounds your management at the time mine was Avalon 
and they said, look, do you want to go to Edinburgh? Yes. Uh, it will cost you 15 grand, but if you sell out, it will cost you five grand. Right. And uh, I think I, I fell for that for one year and then right. never went back for 15 years. But I, that's the reason I haven't gone back again. But now I'm not with them. I will do something there. Yeah. It makes you think creatively again if you haven't got that that pressure that, that they made. Mm. Are you planning to come uh, this, this year? I don't know, but I do have a couple of little ideas, but things come up in America, but I wouldn't mind, actually. Yeah. And then uh, you, then there was, uh, you went on to um, performing the sketch show, and that was, I mean, that, that was that, the upside of being with Avalon, I guess. You got to be in uh, that, which was a very successful show, wasn't it? Well, I had a TV show of my own in 98 or 99, yeah. actually, and well, yeah. just like experimenting on the... Channel 5, trying some different people out. I was one of them, and the other was um, Moena Banks, who had a series, and uh, Tim Vine, I think, had some uh, whittle, or I think it was one of those game shows. They tried it as a game, they wanted a game show. Well, I had a TV just before, a TV show called Comedy Network, and I was a a regular on that. I think we did 26 shows or something. And uh, and I said, and then they brought me in, and I said, look, have you got anything to submit for a sketch show of your own uh, or uh, anyone what do you want to do you know submit stuff anyway and then so I put in loads of character stuff and it in retrospect I wish I'd actually done more characters because that was the thing I that I did that worked I felt in the show but the stand-up didn't work it didn't film it it looked really cheap and awful so so I don't hate that stand-up on that but the character stuff was then got me a job on the sketch show right and then that led to film work, like Harry Potter and stuff like that. So it's, that's where I've come through. It's not yeah. been doing my act with a double bass, no. ironically. I do remember a series which I, I loved, actually, on BBC Two, wasn't it? Sort of the silent um, series, those sort of... Oh, yeah, that would be yeah, uh, a short series of, like, a silent... Uh, six silent films, ten-minute films, yeah. revolving around a man and his... Base. Yeah, they were little gems, really. Were there any chance of them? Mostly, yeah, they really had no budget. Absolutely no budget. They wouldn't make yeah. anything like that now, would they? Because it costs a lot. For them right. To do that. Yeah. And they were really nicely produced. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that was some great silent, great silent comedies, really. Weren't they? I think you would help write bits of it, didn't you? Did I? I can't remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was Al Murray was the yeah. editor. Right. And the yeah. producer was Sarah. Yeah, Smith. Yeah, she still course. doing stuff. Well, she just she uh, directed and produced uh, Arthur Cri- Arthur Christmas with uh, Peter Bainham, which uh, oh, okay. the, the Artman uh, Chris, big hit Christmas movie hmm. by Artman. So um, yeah, she's cool. doing all right out of that. Um, with the, just to say, yeah. with the artist being the big thing, it is at the moment. So oh, the movies see, yeah. could be could be the big thing. It could be. The, yeah, I think that's not the point of the artist, though, is it? That, that, is it, I mean, it's, all, it's all about the... Is it all in silence, or does no. he actually speak? I think there's supposedly a tiny amount of dialogue. And okay, so it really with, is silent. With, with, with um, the yeah, words kept yeah. Oh, really? Is yeah. it like that? That's yeah. fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Silent movies, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well Harry Hill had something called the Fruit Fancies on, yeah, on the other channel at the yeah. same time. Right. Uh, he'd actually, just before me, so yeah. I asked him, well, what, what, how do we, how, what's the best way of doing this? He said, just keep it simple. Yeah. If you're trying to tell a story over ten minutes in the silent film, keep it simple. Yeah. No, they were great. I mean, Silent Movie, of course, was the, uh, the Mel Brooks. Uh, yeah. Thing as well. I just thought it's quite it's the zeitgeist at the moment, isn't it? It's a shame you're not doing. Well, well it would be. It's a. that presume someone got them somewhere? But, uh, uh, I, th- I think you can. They're all on YouTube, I suppose. But yeah. They're definitely the, all there. But. What's the show called again? 
Jim Tavray Presents, is what it was called. Jim Tavray Presents. I recommend that you watch those if you can find them on YouTube. So, uh, what, what kind of, what, why did you in the end decide to leave uh, Britain? Then? Uh, well, I um, got the chance to audition for a show called Last Comic Standing, which is kind of like X Factor for stand-up comics. That was in the US. And they flew 30 of us over there to Miami and uh, lots of different comics from the UK and Ireland and a few from Australia. And then we, we just, we, they wanted to make the show international that year to try to pull the thing into a syndication worldwide, um, which had some success, I think. But anyway, so, uh, so we were, myself and a ton of other people just went out. But I think they did internationals bef the, w the year before as well, but in a lesser, they came to the comedy store in London and auditioned everyone. And Jeannie Yeshere got through that, I think, and a couple of others. Uh, then, but the year I did, they just threw them all out there because it was cheaper. So they got a plane full of comics, <laughs> and about 40 comics all on the boat then. And they went to Miami. Anyway, so I didn't think any of it really, but I did fancy going to America because I've done stuff there before. Network show, and I was in the show called Wings in 94, I think. And that was a big show out there, and uh, set at the commuter airport. And one of the characters plays cello in this show, and uh, uh, she tries to do comedy one night in the in the show and goes to a comedy club. But when she gets there, there's already a guy doing it. That was me. And, uh, and I thought, well, this is good. Now, that led to a tour out there years and years ago, and I really always fancied it. And I thought, well, I don't know why I don't come out here. And then they said to me, you you have to be here. You know, you have to be available. You have to live here if you're going to do this. That was in the late '90s. But then I had that TV series and that. And Things kept happening in England, and I didn't have to go there. Really. I suppose I had a family, young kids. So when the chance came, as you know, as you get older in this, you feel you've got to take these opportunities. You know, and uh, and I I then was had the success in the show and came fourth, finished finished up fourth, which uh, and that's the only overseas act ever to have got that far. And then they toured the whole thing, fifty states of America. And I just got really used to doing stand-up, and I completely changed what I do now. So I don't do any of the same stuff here. And um, and then after, it took me two years to to work out what what's funny out there. And uh, and it was just pure graft and hard work. And then that led to uh, they said, "Can you act?" Which I love that question when the producer, "Can you act?" You never get that here, do you? Okay, kid, can you act? Uh, and that's the next leading question that they ask you out there. You've had a half success with stand-up. They want to know if you can act, and I know what I do. I do actually. So then I got some instant stuff from that. Mm -hmm. But it is all hard work, and it's in, that's the only way people make it out there from England is just absolutely go doing shows everywhere you can, being hanging out in the right place, getting online as much as you can, which I haven't been great at. But it's coming together now. But absolutely bombarding yourself out there, which I've never done in England. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't, but you didn't have to in those things. Well, no. Someone calls you up, you do a gig, yeah. and that's the end of it. And you might get on TV. It's sort of like so random. Yeah. But there, once you get to a certain level, you have a co-star role in the comedy show. And this is literally how it works. It doesn't work like this here. Co-star, and then you're on for three or four lines. And then if that goes well and you make a hit as a character, then the next show you're in, they you go to guest star, they pay you a bit more. And then the next after that, you get to be a regular in the show, and that's how it goes. Yeah. 
Well, it's more an industry, isn't it? Industry, judging you like that, yeah. essentially. And it's like it's, it's just, but which has its. But the industry doesn't exist like that here. It's no. totally random. You just, you yeah. just what school you went with, uh, what school, you went. and if that guy knows you from school or from Cambridge, whatever it is, it's, it seems to be like that. Mm. It's kind of who you were there at the beginning with. So you see the same sixteen people in acting terms here, mm. not so much comedy, but uh, the same. 16 people are in the, or 20 people are in the same shows all the time. And that is similar with comedy acts, the same people and everything. Yeah. Out there, if you walk into a room, they just, they look at you and stare at you, they look at you, right, we can use this guy for that. Yeah. And so you actually, it's more fair there, yeah. I think. Yeah. What about, I mean, how do you find the sort of live gigs in the States compared to, compared to performing over here? Well, uh, people always ask what the difference is. I don't know how much time we got for this, but the, if you get, if you the difference between, I, I think, um, it's one basic difference, and comics never get it when they get over, when they come over there from England. But I think the central difference is they sell a joke with their emotion, uh, so they, they kind of speak emotionally, if you know what I mean. So uh, we, we don't do that. We're kind of more dry and just deliver the material. But they want to see you acting out, and they want to see that you want to be liked by them, and, and we don't have to. Be liked here, do we? As comments, mm. they're looking at your material. That's interesting. That that kind of almost again, things are changing, aren't they? But that sort of sums up in a way that the difference, like between say American sitcoms and British sitcoms. British sitcoms are usually about losers, aren't they? Mm. And American sitcoms are they're not necessarily losers, but they're they're characters that they're they're, they're getting on and doing well. Yeah, despite. they're successful, but they are yeah they have a flaw, which are all great comedy characters they've got. A flaw, but in Britain that te- they tend to start off as losers anyway. But even they though, don't have that. There, yeah, yeah even someone like <clears throat> Frasier, who's got so many flaws, but he's still mm. a very successful high pro, person. high status. Yeah, yeah. radio yeah. show and yeah. this big, big flat yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. And do you? And uh, I, I mean, how many? There's lots of It's Obviously, you've got to change your words. If you know, I'd say to an English comic, you've got to change all your, uh, you know, ways. Refer to things and, and certain phrases they don't. They have different phrasing for things, and, and you can simply not get a laugh because they haven't understood the order of the words you're saying a sentence in. Right. That is, it does take a lot of working yeah. it out. Right. right. And there are things like that you have to do. Right. And how many gigs a year are you? Well, I, I, I'm on a college tour now in mm-hmm. the US, and I, it's sort of ongoing. I did 50 colleges last year. And I've got a load more this year, so uh, that, that's my big live thing, is that. And then I have a residency at the Laugh Factory every weekend when I'm not on the road. You have to sign up. I won't perform there when I'm not anywhere else. And, uh, but I like it, and it's like a sort of family. It's a bit like we used to, exactly when we used to do new material nights, right. the same comics turn up and, uh-huh. and hang out there and work through your stuff. I find it a lot more creative. Here's you get on a treadmill, to earn the money, mm. yeah, it's not like that, right? The original founder member of the uh, joint founder member of the New Material Night. So anytime you go and see comics trying out new material, which happens quite a lot now in uh, clubs around the country, uh, just think of Dave and Jim. Dave and Jim. Yes, yeah, Dave always had a great thing. He said, Dave Cohen, uh, Cohen the Barbarian. That's what we used to call him. Uh, he used to say. 
keep going until it no longer hurts. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't need. But it was you. That's a motto in life. I'm worried about uh, you've got, <laughs> got some photographic evidence. Yeah, yeah. take it out of context. <laughs> no, you're right, though, Dave. Don't take it personally. Okay, right, right, okay. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you're yes. doing stand up, don't yeah. take it personally. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it? I mean that's true, and that's true with writing as well. Like, you know, you you write something and you think it's you know you've put your whole heart and soul into it, and you come up with a new show or so you're a performer, and you know you 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 put so much work into it, and then you go out there and it you know you've written a script and the script gets rejected, or you've got a new one man show and you try it out and it doesn't it's just not work. What does that feel like night after night doing it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's. it's, it's <laughs> It is painful, but it is it, it's like... But, you don't let it go, you just throw it yeah. away. No, it's the audience are saying, we hate you, don't take it personally. <laughs> we just happen to hate what you're doing at this point. Come back in a year and have something. Right, well, I think that hatred that you get from a crowd here, which is almost a judgmental thing, I think shapes the, the, the comics here. Because you don't get, in the US, you don't get that same judgmental thing, it doesn't, it may... Like here, you sort of back off into your shell and, and you're almost apologetic for being there. Uh, and I think that shapes, shaped me anyway. Uh, and then you come through in a kind of, in a combative way. I, I, I don't want to do that. But in a sense, we're talking about musical, and you mentioned Shakespeare as well. I mean, isn't that a kind of British British audience way, really, isn't it? It's kind of... Uh, yeah, people say that. That, that, that sort of football crowd, almost, you know. I mean, I'm not saying all gigs are like when we've all done lovely gigs and things, but there is a sense, isn't there, I mean, at a late-night show, for instance, if there's a comic who's not doing well, you know, you, there is a kind of collective audience feeling starts up, doesn't it? And that is British again, yeah. And the other thing is, essentially, a very important point is alcohol. And there's, there's a lot of alcohol drunk in comedy clubs here, and in fact, that's part of the way they make the... Well, the musical was based on alcohol, wasn't it? Yeah. So, but um, because that is a problem here, uh, I think uh, well, it's not a problem here. It's it's a it's a fact here. Everyone is drunk. Mm. A lot of them are drunk. Yours. Now in the states, you, you can't drink more than two drinks because you have to drive home. Right. Uh, because it's everywhere is so a long way from anywhere else. Mm. So that just suddenly doesn't exist. And when I'm doing college tours, there's no drink at all because you can't drink until you're 21. So you get a whole different. It's like being. It's beautiful, actually. I can actually yeah. just talk to people and relax without having to deal with some idiot who mm. thinks they're better than you when they're not. Mm. Well, it's much less confrontational. It's not confrontation at all, there. No. But if you're not good, they will talk and sort of get distracted. Just ignore you. Really. Yeah. yeah. Out of interest, purely out of interest, I wonder. Do you know how many gigs you've done in your life? No Do idea. How many have you done? There? You've obviously worked it out for you. Well, I did. I sort of roughly worked it out because I had a joke about it, but I had about two thousand, so and about half the amount of time that you've, or probably less than half the amount of time you've been performing. That's a good point you make, actually, because this is this is the thing. I, I feel I've got better over the years, and it's taken a long time. And I've suddenly realised what it was in my case because I had a big double base. I would do less gigs, and um, because I was doing other things as well, trying to be a comedy actor, mm. I, would, I would drop out stand-up. Mm. And then I was maybe doing two shows a week. Right. But now I'm doing about five. And in, in the US, I'm minimum five a week. Yeah. And, and you suddenly shoot forward. And yeah. I haven't put that out for 20 years. Right, right. 
it, it's a fact. And so if you can, if you can do as many gigs as you can, two a night, three a night. Yeah, yeah, right, right, okay. Well, that's advice for budding stand-ups out there. Get gigging, okay. I know it's very hard and there's a massive waiting list for new acts to get one, but you know, set up your own gig as well and, and, and promote it yourself. And that's the uh, other way, really, isn't it? Well, that's, that's a weird, uh, yeah, but there's a, there's a negative result of that, isn't it? If, you, if you're just brand new and you own the comedy club, you're not going to hold an audience as other things are going to collapse. <sighs> Okay, don't open your own. <laughs> no, don't open your own. Sure Ignore my advice there. But it is, it is very hard, isn't it, for new acts starting out? There's, I mean, there are about half a dozen good places for, for, for new people to try out, and they have, like, like the King's Head, that says the King's Head, and they, they have massively long waiting lists, don't they? Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't, you take out three to six months to a year, can't yeah, it, to get all the spots yeah, out? Yeah, do the free gigs then, that's the other. The other way, there's a lot of free gigs. That's another new, newer phenomenon now. Free, That's scary of gigs. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting, interesting place to be. Um, okay, well, you got any pilots coming up this year, then, Jim? It's the pilot that you mentioned earlier. You were telling us about the, it's the pilot season coming up in the states. So, you are you up for any shows, comedy shows in the states? Uh, well, uh, <coughs> I've got a few things coming out, but um, pilot season is basically you've just got to be there and you don't know what's happening. It's all very last minute and. You might get cast in something during February, so that's how that works. But I've got a, a couple of little films coming out, and one of them's a slasher film, which was like, it's like a, uh, an homage to homage to uh, 80s slasher films. It's sort of a light-hearted look at it. Called Bloody Homecoming. That's coming out uh, at the end of this year. That's the problem when you make a film; it doesn't take a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hate what you've done, but. Um, uh, uh, now I'm going to do a web series actually out there, which is quite a big one, but it's called NYPDM and then uh, some various things. And then my um, stand-up and uh, college tour will continue. But hopefully we'll be seeing you coming back maybe to Edinburgh 2013? Yeah, I'd like to do that. It's a really, really good thing. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love it. Cause it's about being creative again, isn't it? Yeah. And you just got to keep that going or you should give up. And Edinburgh's all about that. Well, that could be another hour's worth of chat, but I think we've um, we've covered uh, lots of areas there. So, uh, just uh, all I'd say is thanks very much, Jim. Thanks for your time, and thanks to uh, Tony and Aaron as well. And by the way, can I just finish by saying it was really hard to get to this gig today in the <laughs> studio, and Dave sent me the thing on the, the, the Google the, map. Yeah, he said <laughs> he sent me the directions, which was in the form of just a postcode and a satellite map. <laughs> So it's like some kind of rhyme you have to decide to get them. Yes, <laughs> an initiative test. Masquerade. Yes, the 21st century version. Um, okay, well, you did make it, and we were very pleased uh, to see you, Jim. Thanks very much. And uh, thank, thank you to everyone else. And uh, so hopefully we'll speak to you all again soon. Thank you.